0: Tonight, um, I'd like to, uh, speak about, um, well, let me give you the title. <laughs> Emptiness of Self, Full of Everything. Uh, I'll give you a, I'm a little bit under the weather, uh, and, uh, I'm trying not to take birth as the, as the sick one, uh, continuing to look for that identity as it uh, may present itself, but I know that it's kind of snuck in because I'm a little grumpy and, and uh, so I may meander a lot and in fact I think I have five different Dharma talks with me tonight <laughs> and, and it's really a matter of uh, a mystery to all of us what will present itself <laughs> uh, and that is the truth. But at least as far as I can remember, uh, I ran into Winnie yesterday, and of course I wasn't here to hear her Dharma talk, and um, we spoke for a few minutes about what she was going to speak about, and she said, I'm going to speak about creativity and the spiritual path. And she asked me, what are you planning to talk about? And and I said, well, I was going to talk about um, the creative potential of each moment. (laughs) <laughs> and so we were, we were on some kind of wavelength, but the more I thought about it as the day went on, I, I, I really am quite passionate about the, um, uh, the teachings of emptiness and the, the reflection of the understanding of emptiness that reminds us that every moment is a, um, being empty and open is intrinsically free. And every moment is like that. And so every moment has within it a creative potential. And whatever seeds we plant into that open field of creative possibility becomes, the, um, becomes our um, karmic impressions that produce the fruits of our lives. And so I'm, the potential that we have within us, and I'd like to speak about that a little bit, uh, but I, I started to think that what I really wanted to speak about is just um, not so much the emptiness that is a field of potential, but the emptiness that is creativity itself, That is and it's already happening here and now, that you are creative potential expressing itself, you are enlightened potential expressing itself, that it is so easy to get bogged down in looking for how our creative potential is going to play out, uh, what we're going to do, the seeds we're going to plant, the, the tools that we're going to need, all the requisites, all the this's and all the that's and all the tools. And boy, we have provided, I can say with a lot of confidence that we've provided really every tool, <laughs> ad nauseum. And all these tools are wonderful for living a life and for living a life of, of wakefulness and moving in that direction of, uh, toward the gravitational field of, of, you could say, of truth and slowly, slowly away from the, the gravitational field of, uh, of self. But in that process of becoming the way that our mind can frame the spiritual path is we can really miss the amazing creative display that's happening right now. That both the beginning of our path is this exact expression that you are right now. The path itself is the expression of what you are right now. And the fruit of the path is the expression of what you are right now. This intrinsic openness empty of anybody full of everything when we step out of that you know that i love the spe- stepping out of, the notion of stepping out of the the trance of of time i gave a talk on time it's the way that operates in my own mind has been such an interesting domain to see how samsara and nirvana are really a split second and a half breath away of, of entering into some little dreamscape. Or not. But when we do, for a, even for a moment, where the thoughts of time vanish, removing the past, removing the future, removing the present, all these ideas, what all of us... Slowly, slowly, over the course of re- the retreat, not every moment for sure, but slowly, slowly, we've all begun to taste this, this that we are that, we can't, that can't be described so easily. Even though the, some of the Tibetan teachers that I love uh, have tried to find a language of consciousness to speak to what we recognize of ourselves as we settle in. This is from Noshal Kempo Rinpoche. He says, profound and tranquil, free from complexity, uncompounded luminous clarity beyond the mind of conceptual ideas. This is the depth of the mind of the Buddhas. In this there is not, not a thing to be removed, nor anything that needs to be added, It is merely the immaculate looking naturally at itself. How easy to miss. Right in the midst of it all, right in the midst of that profound drama that that our mind can so easily, innocently dwell in, this uncompounded clarity. as long as i'm on the the i might just meander through some readings tonight since uh i couldn't actually put together a talk <laughs> it just it just would not it would not congeal so thought that i would share a little bit just to kind of warm it up a little bit the uh words from uh the tibetan book of the great liberation just all t- Enjoy this feast of your own mind as it is. Not as you remember it to be, but as it is in, re- in real time. There being really no duality, separation is untrue. Until duality is transcended and at one moment realized, enlightenment cannot be attained. the whole samsara and nirvana is an inseparable unity. Our one's mind as an inseparable unity, our one's mind. Owing to worldly beliefs which she or he are free to accept or reject, a person wanders in samsara. Therefore, practicing the dharma freed from every attachment. The only place we can check this out is right here. Right now, freed from every attachment, because you can't find an attachment in this instant. That's the power of of wakefulness. Therefore, practicing the Dharma, freed from every attachment, grasp the whole essence of these teachings. Although the one mind has has not existence. Although the one mind is, it has not existence. When one seeks one's mind in its true state, it is found to be quite intelligible, although invisible. In its true state, mind is naked, immaculate, not made of anything, being of the voidness, clear, vacuous, without duality, transparent, timeless, uncompounded, unimpeded, colorless, not realizable as a separate thing, but as the unity of all things. Check that out. (laughs) Yet not composed of them of one taste, And transcendent over differentiation. Just read a little bit more. The one mind being verily of the voidness and without any foundation, one's mind is likewise as vacuous as the sky. To know whether this is so or not, look within thine thine own mind. Being merely a flux of instability, like the air of the firmament, Objective appearances are without power to fascinate and fetter. To know whether this or so or not, look within thine own mind. Arising of themselves and being naturally free like clouds in the sky, all external appearances verily fade away into their own respective places. To know whether or not this is true, look within your own mind. The Dharma is nowhere except the mind, no other place for meditation So whatever that is, that one taste that we have in this moment, whatever is expressing itself, whatever is experienced, felt, heartfelt, mind-felt, is the, is the dharma, is, is the nature of our mind. Not to be found some other place, some other time, Today, as I was lounging around, I kind of rummaged in my mind through some of my favorite passages that remind me of the this kind of imminent creative expression uh, this this whatever is felt when we really touch into this sense of immediacy and I thought of the words of Ramakrishna, who was a kind of ecstatic saint who used to sit around and practice like us and just close his eyes and he would very much appreciate the, the sense of immediacy and uh, his mind settled very much the way that I've seen most of us settle here, all of us really, begin to get a, a taste, a glimpse of, of that, um, that which can't be so easily described. And yet some surprisingly, although invisible, colorless, Without shape or form yet, strangely and completely satisfying just to be completely here, awake anyway, I was thinking of Ramakrishna, and one of my favorite passages of his was uh, him sitting around the garden, kind of drifting off, and then all of a sudden opening his eyes and then looking around the friends that were sitting with him and he would then he would just let out this song, and uh, one that I like he 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 lets out the song, O longing mind, dwell within the depths of your own pure nature. Do not seek your home elsewhere. Do not confine your innate infinity within the mansions of finitude. I think of name and form. Your naked awareness alone, O mind, is the inexhaustible abundance for which you long so desperately. Your naked awareness alone, O mind, is the inexhaustible abundance for which you long so desperately. I think about how far I have to travel to recognize this, to be that, to be that creative Display that, that what's often described in the Tibetan tradition—that mind essence. How far do I have to go? How far do you have to go? Now you, it takes about 20 minutes to get to San Rafael, about eight hours to Los Angeles. How far to get to yourself? How far do you get? How far to get to the nature of your mind? So. Part of why we practice is to break the habit of looking out and turning the other way, awakening to that sky-like nature of the mind. That is, as it's described in the teachings, but you have to find out for yourself that it's deathless. It, It pervades the highs and the lows, the goods and the bads, unmoved untouched by what all the dramas that we go through and every one of us goes through dra- dramas every single one of us nobody's immune but yet we have the the seeds that those dramas even are the creative expression not separate from that to know whether this is so we look within our own mind from where do these thoughts of ourselves come from and where do they go? Do they have any roots? Do they have any home? Who is the one that we imagine ourselves to be? Where is that one? We keep looking on in real time, present evidence. So I just, uh, in some ways, I just want, as I always do, I want to celebrate that, that awakening that is happening within each of our hearts. That, and that seed that's planted every moment uh, by our mindful attention that reorients us toward this, this timeless present. Because as you've noticed, Many people have reported when your mind is momentarily free of its preoccupations, which is you have we start to have more moments. I guess when I use those words, I think of a passage from Nisargadatta where he says when the mind is temporarily or momentarily free of its preoccupations, it becomes quiet. And if you don't disturb that quiet and you stay in it, you'll discover that it's permeated with a light and a love you've never known, yet you recognize it at once as your own nature. How far do we go for that? Isn't it just the suchness of right this instant? It sounds very highfalutin, but it's so much right here. He says, once you've been through this experience, you'll never be the same person again. The un- but he says, the unruly mind will break its peace and obliterate that vision. Have you noticed? <laughs> <laughs> but it's bound to return if the effort is sustained until all bonds are broken. This is really the continuing to brush the, brush the dust of memory as we our practice all bonds are broken and life becomes supremely concentrated in the present moment. So a moment at a time we recognize this creative display. So when we sit quietly like this, these moments that we sometimes point to we shine a light on what's actually happening right here in this room right now. The, some of these teachings don't seem so distant. They, we're reminded of. At least for me, when I hear certain teachings pointing to the nature of the mind toward a mind that's free of its preoccupations, it becomes something real. It becomes a little less theoretical. And that's part of the value of, of naming these things. And teachings that seem so vast, but are so really so immediate, like the teaching from uh, from uh, what's his name, Kalu Rinpoche, that probably has been shared on every retreat for the last 40 years, where he says, "You live in illusion and the appearance of things. There is a reality. You are that reality." When you understand this, you will see that you are nothing, and being nothing, you are everything. That is all. Does that make any sense does this does this feel relevant to your to your um, passionate journey to know that whether or not this is so. Does it seem, it, it may not seem like it has practical value, but at least for me, it seems like it has all the practical value in the world to, uh, to operate from, um, from truth as opposed to operating from delusion, from that, Chronic view, as the as the Tibetan Book of the Great Liberation spoke, speaks about, that chronic view of being um, caught in a in a view of the world of separation, of me, of time, of, of of space, occupying a certain amount of space, which has a certain kind of relative usefulness and truth, but all of it is a Reveals itself in our simple moments to be a dream. A dream, and for whatever remains. That reminds me. Thank you for indulging me tonight. I'm just going off on this way and that. From Rilke It says, We are the driving ones. Ah, but the step of time. Think of it as a dream in what forever remains. All that is hurrying soon will be over with. Only what lasts can bring us to the truth. Young men and women, don't put your trust into the trials of flight, into the hot and quick. All things already rest. Darkness and morning light, flower and book. Just in case the words of Kala Rinpoche feel a little too dry, you live in illusion in the appearance of things. For all of you lovers out there, the words of Nisargadatta say really the same thing. Where He says, Wisdom tells me I'm nothing. Love tells me I'm everything. Between these two, my life flows. So we see that the face of of this open empty presence as I know Carol spoke of this the, the, the face of this the expression of this openness is, is tenderness of heart is love is, is what the Tibetans call this unceasing capacity to find out whether this is so look within your own mind don't look anywhere else So already, here in this room, awakening is expressing itself. The body as it's manifesting, the sensations, this is creative display. This is, this is life. Our sensations, thoughts, our spaciousness, our silence, the noise, all of our thoughts about the noise, all of our thoughts about each other, all of this. There's no other higher mountain to climb. Nothing could be more an expression of of life and awakening than the knowing of this and its dance as it flows through this sky of emptiness, this sky of awareness. Even all of our self-referencing, all of our I-thoughts, another part of that creative display all of our defilements, all of our opinions, everything. It's already happening. Don't look for anything but this. Remember that line from the Buddha, Buddha is your mind, or from Ryokan, I mean, Buddha is your mind, and the way goes nowhere. Don't look for anything but this. If you point your cart north when you want to go south, how will you ever arrive? Emptiness expressing itself as us, as this. It's already happening. Life playing with itself. And we recognize it in the moments that we're awake. But as Dujum Rinpoche. Said in a passage that I shared earlier in the retreat, when he said, "I'll quote it again." After your last thought has ceased and before the next one arises, is there not a, in that instant a, um, now I'm not remembering, in fogland, is there not a, um, a bare freshness, a, um, a. Natural clarity. Check it out. After your last thought has ceased, before the next one arises, is there not a bare freshness, a natural clarity? Uh, and he says, ho, which is amazing. Uh, this, is a, this is awareness itself. But then he goes on to say, but we don't stay there. Our mind does not stay in that open field. Part of the creative Expression, life unfolding, part of karma unfolding, causes and conditions unfolding, is that very quickly from uh, conditions, thoughts arise, a thought a- arises. And he says that if that thought is recognized, uh, it, um, it's just a part of that creative display. But if it goes unrecognized, it spreads out into what he calls ordinary thinking, which he calls the chain of delusion. Now that chain of delusion, all of us enter. We incarnate into the, little, the world of our thoughts, in the world of, what, of past and future and present, what happened, where we're, how we're passing through here on our way to somewhere else. And we literally enter into a kind of dream and we can all see that there's something when we're immediately present there's something about that that ever-present wakefulness that ever how can i say that ever-present nature of mind that has never altered ever that nothing truly from an absolute point of view has never happened nothing has ever happened you could say nothing has ever happened to any of us from a certain point of view, there's just been this dreamscape unfolding in this in this eternal now. Yet, from the perspective of our our mind and from the perspective of our tender hearts and our bodies that have formed around our our mind, and our experiences, and then the myriad causes and conditions, and everybody's family history, and everybody's cultural history, everybody's social history, and everybody's educational history, everybody's gender history, and every, it is all formed into this believable, cogent drama about the imagine me. And then it seems so damn real. It seems like the gospel truth. And the, the, um, it, it is true in that there's a, there's a very strong felt sense of this one. But that felt sense that's really just a like a little shimmer. And then, of course, it gets embellished with a lot of thoughts, and then more shimmers, and then more feelings. But they're very momentary. But from a distance, it looks like it really is real. And, and once we enter into that more distant view of ourselves, we, we, um, we feel so much. We, we and and it seems and our feelings because some of them are so delicious and so connecting, that it makes us want to be there even more. It's so seductive. And then, we start to practice and we say, "Hmm." Some way, nothing ever happened. In fact, this whole retreat—where is it? <laughs> what happened to this whole retreat? What happened to this whole life? As uh, Joseph Goldstein says, it feels like a a long weekend. (laughs) Sometimes it doesn't even feel like that. there's There's nothing in it that can be found unless we consult our memories or our plans and reconstruct the whole thing and that's exhausting that's exhausting and then it dawns us as we sit quietly and planting the seed of mindfulness the seed of presence that we can do without that whole complex of memories and associations we don't we don't really need to be somebody in fact we're most happy when we're when we're nobody, when we're just ourselves, I should say. That natural <laughs> expression, that unique expression of life, formed by all that karma, but just a happening. Just think of the times you're, happiness, you're happiest in your life. It's not the times where you're busy saying, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy, or I'm happy because of this or because of that. It's usually when there is an absence, when there you have, in some ways, your mind has entered into the, just the stream of life, that in some way it is free of memory and hope, or no- noticing memory and hope as memory rather than being um, being lost in it. But this is this is where we have uh, have lived most of our um, most of our you could say, incarnations in this. In fact, what we're even sharing right now is a kind of dreamscape. We're sharing this amazing dream. Doesn't it feel kind of dreamlike after you're here for a while? (laughs) Can you see this as part of your dreamscape? How did I show up in your dream anyway? (laughs) And you may wonder how somebody sitting next to you, how did they show up in my dream? If you see everyone as part of your own mind, it's a very interesting, I find it to be kind of interesting way to, to look at things. Like this mandala with everybody, there's no one outside of your own mind. It's all just creative display, all just projection. What a beautiful projection you are. What a miraculous thing, this magical display. But it's very dreamlike. And all these conditions that are, have come together will, will evaporate like a dream, like a bubble. In fact, I think I have that um, poem with me tonight. Thus shall we think of this fleeting world like a star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, A flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom, and a dream from the Diamond Sutra. Thus shall we think of this fleeting world. Getting a little stoned now. It is kind of amazing. (laughs) We're all dreaming this this shared dream. (laughs) See, from this vantage point, uh, from the vantage point of being being, um, interested, investigating the nature of reality from... Being awake, being somewhat concentrated in the present moment, being kind of feeling kind of balanced because I'm just here. It kind of balances us out when we're just here. What, when we're there and then, it's very, it's very unbalancing. When we're here and now, there's something very, that ground of emptiness. That's the true groundedness, not our bodies that are always changing. It's the ground of, of consciousness that inherent purity that the Buddha talks about. But from this vantage point, it doesn't seem like anything needs to be done. No seeds need to be planted. Everything's been granted in this moment. Is there anything, if you don't consult your memory, is there anything lacking right now? (coughs) Everything is here. This this moment when we're really present is the definition of sufficiency, of enoughness. This is for me, this is the the these moments are when the when the the natural sense of gratitude and love as as it has arisen for all of you in different times, it's it comes out of that sense of of being here, being open. So not many seeds to be planted. But just as Dujyum Rinpoche says, we don't stay there. We re-enter the world of the imagined me that so longs to be free and be okay, to be healed, to be enlightened, to be fixed, whatever it is. We enter into that world. And, it's, and it is, as we all know, from our own wanderings, we can wander a long time confused. We can literally enter into these dreamscapes in our mind and not have a clue that we're dreaming, really seeing through these, the lenses of our, of our thoughts and thinking it's the absolute reality, not realizing it's projection. So for that reason, the reason that we are, that part of our experience is that we are so prone to delusion because of causes and conditions, because of the, those fleeting reactions of grasping, liking, disliking, becoming, expressing itself as the desire for more pleasure, the desire to become someone, the desire to, in to, its extreme on the other end, to make it all stop, the, the, intense, the intense aversion that uh, just wants everything to go away. Because we are so prone to that, it is uh, is helpful to exploit the moments that we're awake, both to to appreciate that dawning of wakefulness in our hearts, to recognize that that moment of wakefulness is completely empty and has no inherent meaning or value. I say that for a reason. That this moment it it doesn't say anything. And what value arises in this moment depends on what seed gets planted in it. In, it's inherently open. This just like nothing that you experience in any moment is anything on its own side. It it needs a little, it needs a little. Uh, interpretation, a little evaluation, a little meaning, a little this, a little that, we start to see the difference between the emptiness of everything, the suchness of it, and the, and the extra that gets added. So this extra that gets added is um, often the source, the extra attitude, the extra reaction, the extra view, interpretation, all the teachings on on the three kinds of papancha that gets added, the the spinning out about what I want, the spinning out about how things are supposed to be done, views and opinions, the spinning out about views about myself, all of that is what gets filled into this open field, this open creative field that every moment is. This openness. So because of this tendency and this history of literally millions of, of years, it's almost embedded in the species, it's important to not only appreciate the creative display, which you could say is the fruit of all the past karmas, all the past actions, the wild coming together of all these conditions. But to uh, to realize and remember that what we plant here becomes our our future display. And I know that James spoke a little bit about this during the um, early part of the retreat. And I've given uh, long, long talks on this topic, but I think for me over the last 30 plus years planting the seed of certain kinds of reflections into this field of present in, in these present moments certain kinds of reflections have helped to keep me keep my eye on the on the um, on the ball so to speak to keep my heart turned focused on that commitment to uh, truth instead of 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 me, my, and mine. And those reflections that James mentioned that I'd like to just name again tonight that I found so useful in keeping my mind turned in the direction of the Dharma toward that gravitational field, that's the teaching that traditionally is given at the um, beginning of people's practice, but it's great in the beginning, great in the middle, great in the end. And it is the teaching Traditionally called the Four Mind Changing Reflections, uh, coined more recently by, I think it's a teacher named Reggie Ray, uh, called the Four Reminders. And I have a whole, uh, I was telling Winnie, I have a whole, I have several talks on the Four Reminders, and I could riff on it, but I found one version uh, written by a fellow named Sangha Rakshita that I found so pithy and so and straightforward that I'd like to read it to you. And think of it as, as filling, as dropping into this field of, of potential that you are, that you have every moment uh, with these kinds of thoughts. Essentially, the, the reflections are the reflection on the preciousness of this opportunity as a human the traditional one is preciousness of human birth, but he sees it more as some, this opportunity to make something of your life. The, the reflection on the fact of impermanence and death, reflection on, on karma, which is in some ways what I'm talking about tonight, the, you know, about planting seeds, that seeds bear fruit. And last but not least, reflecting on the defects of the um, samsaric loop of getting caught on the gerbil wheel of becoming. So I'll I'll read this passage. It may take a few minutes, but I think it's worth it. I have a chance to make something of my life. I have relative health, good health. I have energy. I have the ability to think and feel freely. I have enough food and enough money to meet my needs. I live in a country that is relatively free of war, And many of the other difficulties people can face. I'm not trapped all the time in a negative mind state like madness, craving, hatred, or depression. All these things can change. But while I have these advantages, I have a great opportunity. I have had the great good fortune to meet the Dharma. The Buddha taught it. It has been practiced down through the generations Thanks to my teachers, it has come to my country and to my life in a form that I can understand and accept. I've had the good fortune to meet an effective sangha whose members offer me guidance and friendship. All these conditions have made the Dharma a presence in my life and made its practice possible for me. Am I making use of this opportunity it offers? Clearly all of you are. How much time I waste. How much of my life passes in unawareness. How strong my habits constrain me. I would be foolish to waste this chance. So let me commit myself to practicing as as fully as I can." I want to just digress a little bit uh, where he said, how much time I waste. Every time I read this little passage, I remember being in uh, Nepal and sitting with a a great uh, Dzogchen master named uh, Toku Urgen Rinpoche. And there was a, a story on a little poster on a, a wall of his son's monastery that was eulogizing uh, Tulku tuk, Ergen's wife. And the way he eulogized her was that she never wasted a single moment. And that has stayed with me all these years. It kind of blew my mind. Because, and it's, it's kind of a, um, it's a reflection that, that pops in. And, it sometimes, and it's, of course, not to make a case against yourself about it, but to really look at how, how do you spend your time. Try not to digress anymore. <laughs> One day I will die. I cannot avoid it. It comes to everyone, and it will come to me. Everyone who has lived in the past has aged and died, and those living now are aging and die and will die too. Think of the millions of people who have lived in the past. Where are they now? I see myself aging day by day, year by year. My bro- body grows older as i can clearly see the causes of life are unstable and impermanent and when they run out my death will come i will have to face death and meet it at the end of my life i am like a fish caught in a net i'm like a prisoner condemned to execution i'm like an animal in a slaughterhouse in my fantasies i am exempted from the general truth of death but in that but that is a delusion and death will come to me even me as well the time of my death is uncertain even if I live a full span, that is just a few decades. But death come, could come at any moment, in a few years, a few weeks, or even today. There are many causes of death in addition to old age, illness, accident, disaster, violence. Every day people die in these ways, all of them having expected to live longer. Therefore, death is a presence that should be born in mind. My plans should always be provisional. I should not put things off and live free from regrets and obligations. Everyone I know will die as well. One by one we will be taken by death. All my friends, all my family, everyone I know, everyone I love, everyone who loves me, in a hundred years we will all be gone. I like the thinking of all six billion of us will be replaced within a hundred years. To face death I will need courage, forbearance, contentment, and a clear conscience. I need to be free of regrets and that means using my time wisely. All that will matter at the time of death is my practice. What will matter is that I have become what I have become in myself, the qualities of my mind, the sense of having lived a worthwhile life through helping others. So I should live with awareness of the inevitability of death and its imminence, and I must make good use of my time through practicing the Dharma. Everywhere I look, this is on karma, everywhere I look in the universe, I see things arising and passing away, independence upon conditions. From galaxies and stars to microorganisms, this pattern holds true. Things aren't random. They have causes and effects. This is also true of my life. What I am today is the product of many influences, my family, culture, education, relationships. It's also the product of choices I've made and how I've acted, of my mental states and habits. There are many things I cannot alter, and these I must accept but I can change those conditions that spring from my mind. I can change how I think. I can affect how I feel. Meditation and dharma practice give me ways to do so. I know that skillful actions have brought me happiness and fulfillment and have benefited others. When I've been kind or generous, I've seen others benefit. It has given me happiness. I know that my unskillful actions have harmed others and harmed me too. When I have been unkind, I have seen the pain I have caused. Those actions have reinforced negative states of mind that make me unhappy, and I felt remorse and regret. Therefore, I should cultivate positive states, practice skillful action, and avoid unskillful ones. This means practicing the Dharma, which offers a sure path to establishing positive conditions. To this path, I commit myself. Suffering, this is the Defects of Samsara. Suffering is part of my life. Everything I experienced is tinged with incompleteness. I cannot escape unsatisfactoriness. My life involves stress, striving, and struggle. The same is true of others. Almost everyone I know is searching for something their lives do not give them. Everywhere I see this. People's lives include many other kinds of suffering. There's illness and physical pain that goes with having a body. There's mental anguish of depression, fear, madness, and many other afflictions. The possibility of such experience goes with having a mind. All this is within the spectrum of experience I occupy. This is human life, and these things can happen to me. When I consider my experience, I see that it's in constant flux. My body changes continually, a mass of processes that will never, that never settle, my mind an endless stream of thoughts one after another. Similarly, people change, situations alter, Nothing endures. The whole world is like this. Nothing is solid or final. Nothing can be fully relied on. Consider this present moment, and you see this is true. Look around, and you see it is true everywhere. I want the world to be substantial and knowable, but it isn't. This causes me to suffer. These are the defects of samsara. It's futile to expect the world to make me happy. That expectation is the very source of my suffering. I must change the way I see the world and live on the basis of reality, not illusion. The the Dharma offers a way to do this. It gives a path away from being trapped in samsara. Therefore, let me commit to practicing the Dharma. So I had the good fortune about 30 years ago of, um, some of you know about this, Uh, I stumbled in India, I was just graduating college, and I stumbled onto this Amazing character, uh, who I met in Afghanistan. Kind of a larger-than-life guy who was uh, coming from Nepal, uh, having been uh, was about to ordain as a month, and he was going back to this place in Afghanistan where he was in the peace corps. And he sat down with a. F- he was coming back there just for a little pilgrimage before he ordained, and he sat down with a friend of mine and started talking dharma, started talking about emptiness. And one night, one evening with him, and and I. Um, for the next six weeks, I thought I was going crazy. It was absolutely wild. But the one thing he did, besides kind of open, crack open this very tightly diluted consciousness, uh, was to tell me about uh, going to see the Dalai Lama, going to Dharamsala. And I didn't know who the Dalai Lama was at the time. Uh, the, um, actually, that reminds me. I brought got a quote from the Dalai Lama tonight. A little, di- a little digression. <laughs> <laughs> this is like a little interlude, a little pause. <laughs> this is direct from the news service, and uh, it starts with giving you a little update on the uh, the Tiger Woods saga. <laughs> This may be a little more of, real, of, of daily life than you want to hear, but Tiger Woods has now given a public statement to the world about his transgressions. And in his, in his uh, maya culpa, his apologies, etc., he said this. He said, I have a lot of work to do, and I intend to dedicate myself to doing it. Part of following this path for me is Buddhism, which my mother taught me at a young age. People probably don't realize it, but I was raised a Buddhist, but I actively and actively practiced my faith from childhood until I drifted away from it in recent years. Buddhism teaches that craving for things outside ourselves causes an unhappy and pointless search for security. It teaches me to stop following every impulse and to learn restraint. Obviously, I lost track of what I was taught. <laughs> the Dalai Lama who had never heard of he was staying at a hotel in Beverly Hills and was interviewed and he said he had not heard of Woods but when the circumstances were explained to him, he said that when it comes to adultery, all religions have the same idea. Whether you call it Buddhism or another religion self-discipline, that's important self-discipline with awareness of consequences so, so I didn't know who the Dalai Lama was <laughs> <laughs> kind of. In fact, I remember joking with my friend uh, who I was traveling with. We called him the Shmole Lama, and we, you know it was. I know it's kind of sacrilegious now, I suppose. <laughs> but, but anyway, we we made it to this town called McLeod Ganj above the city of Dharamsala, and uh, we walked up to the house where the Dalai Lama lived. And somebody came to the door and opened it and said, "Would you like to meet the Dalai Lama?" So not having any clue who he was, or I just walked in, and it turns out that he had just come out of a, a long retreat and was and was meeting some other Tibetans who had come down from the northern part of Pakistan uh, to um, to meet him, and so my friend and I were just brought in, and what he besides doing the little head, you know, head thing with the a little scarf and all of that. We talked a little bit, and he t- he sent my friend and I to take teachings from the uh, the main lama who taught Westerners like like us. And for, for the next several weeks, over and over, I heard the teachings on the four mind-changing reflections. And it, it's really stayed with me all these years. And so I, I like to share it whenever I can to really reflect every day. And I actually think because we are this open field of creative possibility, our minds can be shaped. They can be turned in the direction of the Dharma in spite of all of our conditioning to do exactly the opposite, which is the messages we get every day. And when I say Dharma, I don't mean the Buddha Dharma. That's a wonderful thing. I always remember that the Buddha was not a Buddhist, but the Dharma, of, the Dharma meaning the truth, the, the capacity of human beings to awaken Whatever form is not as important as that following that yearning in the heart back to ourselves, not, not uh, continue lifetime after lifetime to go out of ourselves in search. So just in the last few minutes, uh, a reminder that we, what we've been... It's so obvious that, that our minds can be shaped and are trainable and that all of you have been planting seeds in this field uh, this whole time and and at this point in the retreat some of you uh, in the last week of the retreat some people in the heart of the retreat uh, you're you're cooking you're cooking with your you, you're watering these seeds over and over the seeds of non harming the seeds of mindfulness the seeds of concentration the seeds of goodwill the seeds of compassion, the seeds of wisdom and equanimity, all of that, it's not an accident that you're feeling those things. It comes from the repetition, from planting the seed and watering it over and over and over again. So the reason we widen this gap, open this sense of present, is so that there's plenty of space to drop in the, the, the wholesome seeds that come naturally from a heart-mind that is open. It is, it's inevitable once you open that, that field that, that we, wa- we, will, we don't want to do anything that will, um, that will prevent us from being, uh, being able to appreciate and to, to be right here. After all, it really is about, about staying here. I guess I'll, at the risk of repeating a story James may have told, because it really is about him in a way. Not about him exactly, but it was about uh, when he, I think uh, uh, several months after I went to see Punjaji, this teacher in India, James uh, went with a video camera. Did he tell a story about taking his video camera with him? Well, James took with him, being the beautiful, generous spirit that he is, he took tons of video of Punjaji talking to people, and, and asking his own questions of Punjaji. And toward the end of his stay, besides asking that one deep question that he gave, you know, what's, why is the, my emptiness so dry and yours is so wonderful, this and that, he asked one final question. And he asked uh, Punjaji to say something to all those people back in the West who would be very interested to hear his teachings. And so, Poonjaji looked into the camera, got that little grin on his face, and he said, stay where you are. (laughs) 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 And, And we all know that that has multiple levels of meaning. Also, at the risk of repeating a quote that may have been offered already in uh, talks where I was not here, I'd like to end with something that kind of, I think, brings together the uh, the potential of of this moment, the both the imminence and the um, and the, what's really available, both the creative potential and the creative display. Passage from. Gendon Rinpoche called free and easy. Happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already present in open relaxation and letting go. Don't strain yourself. There is nothing to do or to undo. Whatever momentarily arises in the mind in the body-mind has no ultimate importance at all and has little reality whatsoever, why identify with and become attached to it, passing judgment upon it and ourselves? Far better to let the entire game happen on its own, springing up and falling back like waves without changing and manipulating anything. And notice how everything vanishes and reappears, magically, again and again, time without end. Only our searching for happiness prevents us from seeing it. It's like a vivid rainbow which you pursue without ever catching, or a dog chasing its own tail. Although peace and happiness do not exist as an actual thing or place, it is always available and accompanies you every instant. Don't believe in the reality of good and bad experiences. They're like today's ephemeral weather, like rainbows in the sky. Wanting to grasp the ungraspable, you exhaust yourself in vain. As soon as you open and relax this tight fist of grasping, infinite space is there, open, inviting, comfortable. Make use of this spaciousness, this freedom and natural ease. Don't search any further. Don't go into the tangled jungle looking for the great awakened elephant who is already resting quietly at home in front of your own heart. Nothing to do or to undo. Nothing to force, nothing to want, and nothing missing. Emma Ho, marvelous. Everything happens by itself. So continue to be quiet, no need to move. for A few minutes. All beings realize that they are empty of self, full of everything. May all beings be free. Thank you. About uh, twenty five minutes for walking practice. And then